0: invite you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 8 through the end of the chapter. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as I preach, as I'll be referencing back to these verses quite a bit. Uh, and as I read, I encourage you just to consider God's great love for us in these words. Let's give our hearts and our minds the attention to the reading of God's holy word. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and penance for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot amongst us, and we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie and wait for their own blood they set an ambush for their own lives such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain it takes away the life of its possessors wisdom cries aloud in the street and the market she raises her voice at the head of the noisy street she cries out at the entrance of the city gate she speaks how long o oh simple ones will you love being simple How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I'll also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me and I will not answer. They will seek me diligently but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices." For the simple are killed by turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his preached word. Oh, Father, as we turn now in the spirit of worship to the counsel of your word Father, help us to see that worshiping you this morning involves hearing from you, involves obeying you, involves being changed by you. So, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to your loving warning to us this morning. Oh, Father, show us afresh of your great love for us, of what you have made possible for us in Christ. Open our eyes, we pray now, in Christ's name. Amen. This past Memorial Day weekend, uh, just a few weeks ago, Lisa and I were invited with some friends uh, to spend the day with them on beautiful Lake Harrington, uh, just down the road on Highway 27, and Highway 27 is pertinent to this story. Uh, We had a great time at the lake, as you might imagine. It was a beautiful summer day. It went about as perfectly as you could imagine, a lake day going, especially over a holiday weekend. Uh, We ate, we were in the sun, we were in the water, good food, time on the boat. It was pretty much a perfect day. So it's time to come home that evening, driving on Highway 27 through Jessamine County. I was subconsciously aware that there are often patrolmen on that road. Even I was subconsciously aware over Memorial Day weekend, there might even be more of them out or there might be a lot of them on that particular night. Yet, as I drove past the BP station on my left, coming north back to Lexington in Nicholasville, there was a big traffic light that was yellow for the whole world to see. And as I drove through that red light after it had turned yellow, it was so strange that it was as if I wasn't paying attention to anything at all. Now... From time to time, you do drive through yellow and it turns to red. But in this case, it had turned to red one, two, maybe three seconds too late. I looked up and realized what was going on, and to my right was a Nicholasville policeman parked adjacent to me at the red light. We could have waved to each other as I was driving through the red light. I looked over and saw him, and even worse, I saw that Lisa saw him. And I knew what was about to happen. It was painfully clear to the policeman, to my wife, and to me. I just ran a red light right in front of a policeman. We hadn't driven a more 15 or 20 seconds later until I saw flashing blue lights coming up behind me. But here was the issue of frustration. I saw the yellow light. I've been trained in what to do when you see a yellow light. I know you're supposed to stop at a yellow light. No one has to tell me, like after the first service. I know what you're supposed to do. Lisa gently and sweetly and calmly asked me, did you not see the yellow light? And I responded gently and sweetly and calmly, yes, I did. Now, that conversation did not happen, but the message, that's essentially what happened. But her bigger question is, then why didn't you stop? And my honest answer is, I have no idea. It wasn't for a lack of a warning. I knew what to do. The warning was right in front of me. And I simply kept going. Now, as we look at our passage today, I feel like my duty for us this morning as one of your pastors is to be the one who is proclaiming a giant warning signal. Seriously. Envision me as the yellow light, if you will. But warnings are in Scripture. They are there to awaken us, to see God's great love for us, and pay attention to that which is being warned. This is our fourth week in the book of Proverbs. And in our study so far this summer, we have seen that our goal from Scripture is that we would grow in wisdom, that God's gift to us is that we would see the world the same way that He sees the world. If we are wise, it means that our hearts and our minds and our attention have been changed to such that we can live successfully in the world because we're living in step with the creator of the world. And what we see is that God cares deeply that we do that. And that starts with our fear of the Lord. That is, he is our king and we belong to him and we are to enjoy living inside of his kingdom. The past two Sundays, Luke has done a wonderful job of highlighting Proverbs through the lens of our relationship with God, as well as our relationship with ourself. And we see that there's a heart change that comes of living inside of God's kingdom. Today, though, I want us to look at Proverbs in the context of our relationship with others. And frankly, there's a lot I could have chosen to preach on in terms of what is in Proverbs about our relationship with others But as I prayed, as I studied, I've chosen the balance here of chapter one for our study and focusing on others, quote unquote, in the negative context. I don't like to preach on the negative context, but it's in the Bible and we must be faithful to it. I think that all of us enjoy hearing the promises of God to us in relationship with other people that are fun and enjoyable, but we also have to be honest about the entirety of God's word. Our passage this morning clearly teaches that there are people and there are systems in the world whose aim is for the destruction of those of faith. Of those people who live by faith in God, that is we have an enemy and we must be honest about that reality. I want us to see two things this morning from our passage. First, I want us to see the deception of the enemy's voice and then secondly, the clarity of our Savior's voice. The deception of the enemy and the clarity of our Savior. My proposition for us this morning is that the Lord may reveal to us that the path of wisdom is a path of a journey of faith in Christ, and that journey is one that is worth traveling. Again, as I have prayed, I was praying before the service that God would open our eyes, that this warning comes from his great love for us. So first, let us recognize the deception of our enemy's voice. Look back at our passage. Look back at verses 8 through 10. And when I say opposition, when I say enemy, I say it's those people and those systems who are aiming to hurt and destroy the people of faith. First, notice the picture of what is taking place here. The author shows earlier in verse 7 that there are two ways of living ultimately. One is to fear the Lord, the other one is to not fear the Lord. To fear the Lord is, of course, to live inside of his kingdom, to receive his love, to embrace his message, and recognize that he is our king and we are his subjects and he loves us. The second, of course, is to make up your own way of living apart from him. It's to despise his message and create your own system of living. Another way of saying it is simply to receive God's blessed life or to openly reject it and to despise it. But before we look at the nature of the opposition, notice again the heart of the author. Notice the words that the Holy Spirit has impressed upon Solomon as he wrote these words. The longing of the Lord is to convince us as the reader to pay attention to the outcome of not listening to him. He mentions here in the context a family, if you will. He says here, pay attention to the words of your father, and your mother you just need to know that in Hebrew poetry it's very unusual for those both of those to be mentioned the point here is to grab our attention that the one speaking is one of love and one of seriousness get the attention of the child is the goal it would be the equivalent this morning if you want to get your child's attention and you use his or her middle name so for me it's not Keaton Randall but it's Keaton James Randall Pay attention. That's the heart of what's taking place here. That is, I love you so much. Please pay attention to what I'm about to say. Now, what is it that these parents wanted their child to hear? What is the danger? What is the concern? And this is the theme of the passage. It's this. The author is begging them not to consent to the words and actions of sinners, not to consent, not to join, not to go along with them. Did you catch that? It's telling the next generation, don't go along with certain people. And of course, that begs the question, who are these people? From Proverbs, who are these sinners and what is their problem? It's critical that we understand this. It does not mean sinners in the general sense of the word because that's the case It eliminates all of us. But rather, this reference in context are the fools mentioned earlier in verse 7. These are the people who have heard the good news of God's love. They have heard about His kingdom. They have heard about His commandments. They have heard about His grace. And they have said, I want nothing to do with Him at all. I'll create my own way of living. That's who our opposition is. You can read more about these people in Romans chapter 1 and notice the consequences of their life, of creating life on their own. Now, how do you know who these people are? What are their actual characteristics? What are their tendencies? Who are these actual people? Notice verse 11, that these people are active. They have an agenda. They are recruiting. They are conspiring. They secretly aim to move you away from a life of faith and into a life apart from Christ. That is their goal, to move us away. Now maybe, if you're like me, as I was reading this passage this week and studying it, I started thinking, honestly, I don't know anybody like this. I don't know anyone who actually is trying to convince me to take advantage of innocent people. My first reaction was, is this literal or is this something different? I mean, seriously, if I make a list of everyone I know, no one is actually literally trying to convince me to take advantage of innocent people. I joke, Stephen Leinert tries to convince me that Formula One is better than NASCAR, but that's not evil, that's just immaturity on the part of a young man. (laughs) But what we remember here is Proverbs is a book of poetry, so we must interpret it appropriately. Thus, this warning is a general description for all of us that there are two pathways in life. Those who seek the Lord in His kingdom, and those who do not seek the Lord in His kingdom. Those who seek wisdom and those who do not. Those who seek the Lord, those who seek Christ, and those who do not. But note for us this morning that those who seek Christ will have a consistent enemy throughout their life. Recognized by the voices of those aiming to distract you and take your eyes, even your life, away from Christ and miss out on his goodness. Let that sink in. If you follow Christ, you have an enemy and he is committed to destroying you. Notice some of the features of the voices of those who aim at your destruction, those who aim for you to leave the journey of faith. Verse 11, be warned of those voices Who don't care about the innocent. Beware of those. Pay attention to them. That is your warning. Those people who speak and act with vengeance against the least of these. Are not the voices of those who care for Christ and his kingdom. Those who care nothing about the poor. Those who care nothing about the unborn. Those who care nothing about those discriminated against for whatever reason. Those are not the voices leading us toward Christ. Feature number two, verse 13. Beware of those voices whose only motivation is the accumulation of wealth to make their life easier today. Scripture says a lot about the accumulation of wealth, and it is a gift of the Lord. But this voice is one who only wants money for the pleasures which come today and today only. There's no aspect to eternity at all. Verse 19, be warned. Thirdly, not just the accumulation of wealth as a primary means of happiness, but the warning as well as against those who will get their wealth in unjust ways. I don't know all the forms that this includes, but it involves a lack of trust in God's providence and in some way to create their own unfair, unjust means. They'll cheat, they'll rob, they'll steal, they'll take advantage. Lastly, be warned, verses I'm sorry, verse 16, of the voices of any scheme, any idea, any plan, which must be done immediately. Solomon warns here that the enemy runs to evil. They make haste. The opposite of the kingdom, we see that God's ways are often slow. Maturity is a a slow and delicate process. Growth comes over time. Wisdom takes decades, not just days to achieve. I found it funny as I thought about that this morning that we could be encouraged as Presbyterians this morning. We don't do anything quickly. We are as slow as anyone on earth. We can study and we can debate and we can go very, very, very slowly. That's a good thing. But you see the nature of the ways against growing in wisdom. No care for the poor and the oppressed. Life is based on material blessing for today. A willingness to cheat others to get our wealth and an urgency because we only live for the here and the now. These are the recipes for a disastrous life. These are the ingredients that all of us are deceptively having to fight against. Perhaps the most notorious biblical character who fell into the trap of deception was one of Jesus' own disciples. That, of course, was Judas Iscariot, the disciple who betrayed Jesus just before his death. Do you remember the issues revealed in his heart? Remember the scene? Judas cared nothing about the poor. He was willing to make a profit at any cost, and his work had to be done immediately. The result? His life ended in ruin. Yet all the while, he had convinced himself that he had created his own path, and it was going to end perfectly. Judas is an extreme example, of course, but that's the point Of a warning. Why are these warnings given? What is the longing this morning of your heavenly father? Look back at verse 19 and let this penetrate your heart. See here that these warnings reveal to us that there is a destructive way to live. And your heavenly father does not want you to do that. The passage that Alex read for us a few moments ago. John chapter 10, verse 10, it's one of my favorite passages. It says that Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. That is his heart for you today. It is not for you to destroy yourself by making up your own way of living. So let me ask you a few questions, simply of application this morning, in hopes that it may reveal, if you need to repent this morning, that you'll do so. First, Will you admit that there is a competition for your soul? Will you be honest? Will you obey scripture and recognize there is an enemy? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. It's real. I think we want to pretend that we don't live in a spiritual world, but friends, we do. We live in a spiritual world. We like a spiritual world when everything goes well, but yet we must be honest about the entirety of the fallen world. The competition for our souls is there, and we are all susceptible to falling. This world has a constant undertow, and its aim is for us to leave our life of faith. and It's real. Secondly, will you consider just for a moment the consequences of rejecting a life of wisdom? That is, will you peek over the fence just a little bit and look on the other side? I mentioned Romans chapter 1 earlier. I encourage you, go read it later today. What's haunting about Romans 1 is that these people know the truth of Scripture and they chose to despise it. And over time, even over the generations, they are reduced to the vilest forms of worship. Please see, it's not a game to know the goodness of the Lord. And to mock Him. Third question of application I ask you is this. Who are the most influential voices in your life today? Name them. Seriously, who are they? Who is most important to to you? Who is influencing your soul? Who is it that affects your life the most? Your books, your friends, your family, your podcast. Are they people who care for the hurting? Are Are they people who care about eternal treasures? Are they people who care about the slow process of maturity? Are they pushing you toward Christ? Be warned of this constant undertow that exists for us all. You see, Proverbs chapter 1 is a warning. There's a movement, and that movement aims to crush us. But please see, this is not new. This is not a political reality of 2022. This has been going on for all time. And it will continue until the Lord's return. Church, do you believe this? Now, that's the bad news. We've seen the reality of this competing voice. Now, let's be encouraged by the clarity of your Savior's voice. Look back at verse 20, and I love this. Now, we see it's not mother and father speaking, but rather lady wisdom is speaking. Listen to her words. This is the mouthpiece of God, if you will. This person of wisdom will show up again later in our study of Proverbs. But notice what she is doing and how she does it in these verses. The picture here is one in the, of one in the middle of the street, in the middle of the marketplace, screaming at the top of her lungs Listen to me. There's nothing hidden about this message. There's no deception at all. There's no secret. It's not being kept from you. It could not be more clear. She says, how long will you love being simple? How long will you love the mere life of earthly pleasure when you are designed to enjoy the riches of the creator of the world? How long will you only listen to the voice of those who don't obey the king? When the king is right here with you and he loves you. Look back at verse 23. And let these words both penetrate and encourage your soul today. If you turn at my reproof, I will pour out my spirit to you. And I will make my words known to you. What a promise for us all. If we repent, then we have God's Spirit inside of us. And when His Spirit is alive inside of us, the Word of God is known to us. God becomes our Father, and we know Him, and He is trustworthy. If you're not a Christian this morning, I encourage you to hear these words and turn to Him, and you will have His Spirit alive inside of you, and you'll be connected to the God of the universe. If you are a believer this morning, see this promise as his precious gift to you. His spirit poured into our lives. See, this message of wisdom is so clear. Turn to him today because he wants you, he made you, he loves you, he gave himself for you. His promises are good. He will take your life and mature you in the ways of eternity. Again, you can read through verses 24 through 32 and see yet again of the reality of those who over time will not turn to the Lord. Over time, calamity will be their destiny. As I was preparing this message, I thought of an old hymn that uh, we sang growing up. I did as a child. We sing occasionally here at this church. I will spare you the discomfort of me singing it this morning. But you can remember these words. And that is softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. He's calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching for you and for me. Ye who are weary, come home. Come home. I love that hymn, but what's different about the hymn and the passage, Jesus is not softly and tenderly calling. He's loudly and tenderly calling. The message is clear, come to me all who hunger and thirst, and I will give you rest. Verse 33 concludes the passage. He wants us to dwell securely with him, to be his royal citizens, to enjoy who he is and what our lives are meant to be about. Friends, why should you come home? Why should you live with the king? Why should we love Jesus more than the pleasures of the world? It's because when Jesus was faced with the warning of going to the cross with the extreme nature that he would face the terror of the wrath of God for the sin of the world with all of the pain and with all the humiliation Jesus not only cared about the poor but Jesus became the poor. He not only gave up the riches of the world but he secured his most precious possession that was you and me. Jesus, in fact, did live for his own maximum enjoyment. He did. And that was in his suffering on the cross to the point of death that he could have us. That's why we heed the warning, so that we get Christ. His plan is to have us and to have us for all eternity that we may dwell in faith with him today. You know, it's strange I ran that red light. I could not have been more guilty. I was 1,000% guilty. By the time the officer reached my car, the window was down. I had my license. I had my registration. I had my proof of insurance handed out waiting for him and said, sir, I can't explain it, but I'm guilty. He took it, went back to his car, came back a minute later and said, sir, you don't need a ticket. Just quit running yellow lights and stop. And I said, sir, you got it. I couldn't have been more guilty. You can never begin your life of faith until you see your need of Christ. But be warned this morning, inside of your life in Christ, He has a plan for you. It is good and you can trust Him. I know this. Admitting our need for Him is the beginning of our journey and He will not turn us away. So now, let's pray and ask the Lord's Blessing on us as we prepare to come to this feast that is his body and blood. Join me now as we pray. Oh, Father, help us to see afresh your love for us. Lord, we deserve nothing from you, but yet you give us your kindness. You give us your love. Father, it doesn't seem real, it doesn't seem practical, it seems ethereal, it seems spiritual. But yet, as we taste of this communion this morning, remind us afresh that yes, you are real, you are true, you are good. Give our hearts trust in you. Pray that you'll do this now in Christ's name. Amen.